What's going on, Chiefs Kingdom? Welcome back to another episode of The Degenerate here on our Arrowhead Live podcast. I am Johnny Kane. Joining me as always, Dustin Gosa. And Dustin, over the weekend, we had more sports come back. Golf had our first tournament back for quite some time, back since March. Also, we have horse racing coming up this weekend. So the normalcy of sports starting to come back, but what a heck of a golf tournament we had over the weekend. It was great to finally have some sort of sports back. I know it was just a little bit of a taste, and even if you're not a, a golf fan, it gave you something to watch, gave you something competitive uh, to to bet on, and even just look at the odds. Even the live odds were were great. I hate the way it turned out. I had a had a little bit of uh, cheddar on Morikawa, uh, but uh, it is what it is. It was a, it was a nice playoff, and there was a lot of lot of good golf this weekend. Daniel Berger ends up winning it. He wins in a one-hole playoff over Colin Morikawa, who missed a three-footer that lipped out to allow Daniel Berger to go ahead and win that tournament. They were both finished at 1,500 to force that playoff. Also had Xander Shoffley on his on hole 17. He missed a short putt that would have put kept him there in the lead. He would have been in that playoff as well. So some tough luck for a couple of those guys. Roy McIlroy had a really tough Sunday as well. But Daniel Berger, he ends up winning, and he gets 1.3 mil. Yeah, it was crazy. Like you were saying, with the playoff – Everybody was expecting, and especially Daniel Berger, when he's seen it, he couldn't believe, could not believe Morikawa missed that putt. A little three-footer, that should be a tap-in 97 98% of the time for the pros. But like you were saying, Rory had a had a kind of a tough Sunday, and Bryson DeChambeau, he was right up in there as well until the 15th, 16th hole. He missed one of those three or four-footers that really knocked him down a peg. And when you're that good at golf, when you're right up there with the uh, the professionals, especially the top ones, you miss one of those putts, you know, that's the difference between first place and seventh or eighth. Gary Woodland also, he had a strong showing as he has been the last couple of years. He's the local guy here in the Kansas City area from Topeka. He finished at ninth place at 12 under par. Then you had a slew of guys there in that third spot. Bryson DeChambeau, as you mentioned, Justin Rose, Shoffley, Bubba Watson, Patrick Reed, some more big-name guys. Didn't see Tiger Woods in this tournament. He's expected to be back here in the next couple of weeks. But overall, just fun to get back in the tournament setting. I know a lot of the golfers talked about that, just getting out there, playing competitive golf. Yes, it was different without fans being there, but that's pretty much going to be the case for not only golf, but pretty much every sport here for the next probably couple months at least, just not having fans out there. And it's something that I think a lot of these major sports teams and players are going to have to just get used to. Yeah, before we, we get into the fans, I just got to say one thing about a player was uh, Justin Rose. He started off hot seven under on that first day, and it just seemed like he was just you know two or three under every day since then. I thought he was going to run away with the, run away with the tournament at the beginning of the second day. Uh, but like you were saying, it is a it was a little difficult watching it because the announcer said multiple times there wasn't as many cameramen on the on the course. They couldn't cover as many players as they'd like to or certain shots, certain pro tracers, stuff like that, because they were only allotted a certain amount of players as well as personnel on the course. So even without having fans there, I think it was it was still fun, but you could tell that there are players that still feed off that energy from the crowd and you know what would a golf tournament be like if Tiger Woods didn't hear a roar after every big shot, you know? So like you were saying, it was a little bit uh, different, but I think the players are going to get used to it, especially in the golf atmosphere. But when it comes to basketball, hopefully baseball, and a, a couple of the other sports like soccer coming up, not having fans in the stands, we're going to see how that plays a toll on both the home and the away teams. 
And you mentioned the cameras and just the television aspect of what we saw over the weekend. It's kind of funny. Sun Kang, he had a hole-in-one. He hit it, didn't even know he made it until he was halfway to the hole, and finally someone came up and told him. Usually, you know, when someone has a hole-in-one, the crowd goes bananas, and you can basically just tell from their reaction that it went in the hole, but he didn't even know it was in there. And that was a bet that a lot of people missed be just simply because the Kang made that hole-in-one. I know at the beginning of the tournament, no hole-in-one was, what, plus 150, somewhere around there. It was plus money, at least. And so a lot of people hit that pretty heavy. And then in the end, Sun Kang makes that hole-in-one. I know that cost quite a few people. I had it right at uh, even money. And it was one of those things, like, at the beginning of the tournament, you know, you start holding your breath around Saturday or Sunday because these guys start pinpointing these locations. But I had a, a buddy come up to me. He was on Twitter, had seen it uh, on a post-replay, and told me about it. And I said, really? Like, it's only it's only Thursday, uh, and you know somebody was due for it. Uh, the yes was actually a heavy favorite for a, a hole in one, which I thought was crazy. But like you were saying, he didn't even know it was in the hole. Usually they have a somebody sitting at the uh, tee box, somebody sitting at the hole that tells them, "Hey, this is exactly where it is," so they can help navigate where their ball is. So you know they take off walking to the right spot. So I thought that was interesting that he didn't even know until halfway there that it was a hole in one. So. So in the end, it is Daniel Berger that takes away the Charles Schwab Challenge. Now looking ahead to this week, the RBC in Canada, and that's kind of a tough situation, kind of a weird situation for a lot of players as well with having that RBC. Don't really know what to expect this week, and I think that makes it a little bit tougher from a betting standpoint. But good thing is golf is back. Some of the big-name players, quite a few of them in action last week. So Dustin, now we'll move on. We'll look ahead to this week, change sports a little bit. Golf we touched on quite a bit last week and also at the beginning of today's show, but now we have horse racing coming back this week. The Belmont Stakes set to be in action. There it's the first race of the Triple Crown, which a little bit different than usual, obviously, with the COVID-19 situation kind of made horse racing take a little bit of a turn and switch some things up. But the Belmont Stakes is back this Saturday. A lot of big-name horses are not going to be able to compete, so that has changed quite a bit from a betting standpoint. Yeah, I'll just touch on a couple things. We have the, the Belmont Stakes in Elmont, New York, like you said. Uh, it's usually the third third leg, the anchor of the Triple Crown, but this year it's the first. And then we're moving on to the Kentucky Derby, which is usually the first, and then the Preakness Stakes, which is going to be oh around October. And what's crazy about this is those three races are usually in a five- to six-week span. This year they're moved within three, three-and-a-half months. So it's going to be interesting to see how these horses react, especially the winner of the Belmont uh, they're also running it uh, shorter than they usually do. They're running it at a mile and an eight, one and one eighth mile uh, this year. They usually run it at a mile and a half. So the times are going to differ a little bit. It's going to be interesting to see how these horses can adapt and overcome to where they are running a shorter track than what they're usually used to being pushed. Uh, I do know to, up to the first turn, there's a five furlough. It's usually a 12 furlough race. There's only five until the first turn and then it's a, a straightaway. So we're going to see how that goes. Uh, some of the heavy favorites actually are out of this race uh, because they are injured. Uh, we have Nadal, Maxfield, and Charlton, um, Charlatan, my bad. They, those horses, they're all out with uh, fractured sesame weight, which if you don't know, that's kind of the ligament the right in the ankle area of the horse. Uh, those three are out with, with injuries. Also, Charlatan's having a, a couple issues with illegal substances uh, when it comes to painkiller issues. And then we have Wells Bayou who was a, a heavy favorite coming in, uh, has a, bru a bone bruise in uh, one of his legs. So it's going to be interesting to see how they come back out for maybe the Kentucky Derby, maybe even the Preakness, if they happen to get enough points to get into those races. But because they're not in the race at all, 
Tis the Law is coming out as the heavy favorite. Uh, he's coming out at three to two. Uh, he has two wins this calendar year, and uh, it's the first time in the uh, the Belmont Stakes that there are odds on a favorite where the Triple Crown was not on on the line. That there was there's somebody that's just an outright odds to, odds favorite where there's no Triple Crown at stake. Yeah, so that just makes it interesting heading into Saturday because it's one of those. Do you take the chance and take the favorite, or do you just take that odd end that something happens, he doesn't end up winning it, and try to get one of these underdogs? I mean, you look at it, tis the law, as you mentioned, minus 135, 3-2 odds, but then kind of drops off. You go to 14-1 to one odds, 12-1 to one odds, and so after that, you you're, at this point, do you almost just kind of hope that tis the law, something happens, he doesn't win it, and try to get one of these underdogs? I think with it being the first leg, it's it's a lot easier because usually around the second or third leg, the winner of their previous race becomes a heavy favorite to where it's hard to hard to pick uh, those type. I'm more of an exotic bets. I like my exactas and trifectas. If you don't know what those are, exactas are more you pick the the winner that's supposed to be first and the uh, horse that's supposed to be in second. Trifecta is the same way, but it's first, second, and third. And you bet a low amount to win a very high amount because it is hard to in an eight to ten field race to pick the top three but i think tis the law has got to be in everybody's top three um no matter what order you pick them in especially if you're going for a low wager gamble i think him coming out here he's already has two wins this calendar year he's starting off pretty hot and the rest of the field for the most part hasn't had too many wins a lot of them have came off of win streaks but as three-year-old horses a lot of these horses haven't won this calendar year or have won slightly this calendar year so I think if you're looking at exotic bets, I think tis the law. You need to throw them into your exotics. Uh, but just as an outright winner, at minus 135, I don't think that's a bad bad gamble at all. Yeah, because either way, I mean, you're not going to make – it's not like you're going to have to put a ton of money up to win some money back at minus 135. That's the only good thing about tis the law. So, yes, they, yeah, it's, it's the favorite at 3-2 to and minus 135. But then at that point, who else after tis the law do you look at as a, as a horse that you could really throw some money on and try to win something big? So I've looked at a couple of horses. Uh, Ron Flatter actually gave a, a very detailed uh, look in, on Vegas Stats and Information Network. He came out and just announced a couple of these horses to look into. Uh, you have Sol Volante. Uh, the horse is a finisher. Uh, he usually kicks it on right at that last leg, but he has so much acceleration. It's really hard. You can get him at 14 to 1 uh, Yahoo looking at, but he's plus 450 through Circa right now. Uh, he's a finisher. He's Really, if he keeps up with that pace and he's right at the end, he can kick on that, that last gear, that fourth, fifth gear that could really push him ahead. So I, I would look at Sol Volante real quick. I would also look at uh, Tap It to Win. Tap It to Win, he's a pace setter. He's usually a horse that starts off hot right out of the gate, and he's usually in the lead. I'm not saying that he falls off at the end, but he's always at the top of the tier. Whether it's one, two, or three, he's up there ready to go. Uh, I've got a couple I'll talk about you in a little bit that are a little bit down the down the line if you want to throw in you know a couple couple dollars on some long shots. So then looking at it, I mean obviously horse racing it's kind of a tough thing to look at because there's so much into a factor. It's first of all it's an animal. Second of all you have the jockey, you have the track, you have the weather conditions. There's a lot of things to look at when you look at picking a horse to win a race. And so after that, obviously with Tizalal being the favorite of minus one thirty five and thirty two odds. As mentioned, there's some other horses, though. You talked about a couple ones that you were looking at, but is there any one that maybe that big high odds that aren't very good in their favor that you could maybe look at and say, hey, maybe throw some pocket change on it and hopefully and possibly come up big? So there's a couple here. Dr. Post, he actually is, I'd say he's um, kind of a favorite in this 
aspect. He's not not too low down, but he does have two wins as a three-year-old. Uh, he's at plus 650 through circa 9-1 on Yahoo, but this is his home barn. He doesn't have to go anywhere. His home trainer is from here. They're used to the track. They're used to the conditions. It's supposed to be really good weather. I really think Dr. Post is somebody to look at because he doesn't have to have that wear and tear of traveling from England or you know, California, from Kentucky, wherever, just to get up here to New York to race. So I think Dr. Post is somebody that you should really look at uh, just from a, like you were saying, a, a home perspective of knowing what the track is, knowing the weather conditions around the area. Uh, a long shot that I would really look at is Modernist. Uh, he's 16 to 1 on Yahoo Sports. In the Louisiana Derby, he took third place. Uh, which you might say, you know, okay, third place, it is what it is. But he was in the 14th post. And if you don't know how posts work, for the most part, you have your first post through your 14th, 16th post. So the further you are out, that is the further you have to get into the post. It's the same way as a, a track. If you are the furthest uh, track out, if you're in the eighth lane and somebody's in the first lane, they have the inside inside track on you. So he took third place as the 14th post, and he was 12-1 to 1 odds in that, uh, that race. He's also a horse that I would look at if you're looking into an exact a trifecta to boost those odds. If you're tr really trying to make some money off of just a little bit, maybe throw him in there as a second-place winner. Maybe throw him in there as a third-place winner. I think Modernist really has a good shot here, and I don't think post really matters in this race, as seeing as it is a much shorter track, and unless you're in the one, two, or three spots, I don't think you can get jammed up against the rail too much. I think right here is just going to be an all-out brawl to see who takes the lead, and that from there it's just going to be who sets the pace and who can catch up with the pace. And we talked about it kind of at the beginning when we talked started talking about the Belmont Six that comes up this weekend, but how much more does that make this race that more wide open with those three of the top four horses being out? It seems like now everyone is just saying if we can somehow find a way to beat Tis the Law after that, it's kind of an open crapshoot who can really take this Belmont Stakes coming up this weekend. It's huge, Johnny. I really... I know that when it comes down to it, I know everything's backwards when it comes to the horse races this year, but I believe there's 100, maybe 150 points that go towards the Kentucky Derby. So the winner of this race is automatically invited to the Kentucky Derby, maybe even second place, uh, depending on how big of a, a length the winner is. I really think second place here also will get enough points to get into the Kentucky Derby. Uh, there's also a couple horses that I, I haven't mentioned to where there's only eight so far in here. They could add another two, maybe three, four horses into here. I think it's only going to be a 10 post, but if if it is just an eight post, these ones right off the gate, I think the winner of this really has a good shot of not only winning the Triple Crown, but really getting a good post position coming up here in these next couple of races. So looking ahead again, the Belmont Stakes set for this Saturday at Belmont Park in New York. And so that's something that's going to be, I think a lot of people don't realize how heavily bet on horse racing is. I know that even here in our small town in Kansas that we live in, Dustin, there's a lot of people that have watch parties where people dress up, dress to the nine, then come go to someone's house and throw some bets on, make a little interesting, have a little party. I think people don't realize how heavily bet on and how important horse racing is. And I think without sports right now, it might be at an all-time high. Yeah, like you were saying, with it being – at an all-time high right now, especially because there hasn't been really many sports to to gamble on, and everybody likes to. It's kind of the way as the Super Bowl, not as heavily bet on, but it is kind of the way of the Super Bowl. Everybody likes to get a little piece of the pie, especially when I talked about it earlier. Exotic bets, you know, trifectas, uh, exactas, quinellas, stuff like that. People can throw two or three dollars here and win, you know, a couple hundred to a couple thousand dollars 
you know, if they just pick the right numbers um, on the horses, right numbers on the lane. So it is one of those things where, yes, it's not the most heavily bet on when it comes to money-wise, but it, it might have the same pace. It might have the same amount of quantity, I should say, of bets made, especially when it comes to the Kentucky Derby starting off usually. I think the Belmont Stakes is going to make a huge, huge upbringing uh, this time of year because usually most people already know who the heavy favorite is going into the Belmont Stakes because they're usually the leader for the Triple Crown or they had just won the Preakness. So you're looking at it that way. This is really going to be a pace setter. I think a lot of people are going to be on this race. So again, that is this weekend on Saturday is the Belmont Stakes in New York, the first race of the Triple Crown. And after everything obviously been pushed around, the whole schedule for horse racing has been changed. I know that's something, Dustin, that a lot of people haven't really talked about as much, but that is kind of a big deal with the fact that these, some of these races have been changed around just for the simple fact of, you know, how long some of these races are, especially those horses that could go for the Triple Crown. And, you know, in past years, it that really does change a little things as far as that goes as well. Yeah, one thing that I'm very interested in with this COVID-19 and the different rules in different states is how many people are actually going to be allowed at the track? How many people are going to be able to, you know, place bets and take bets at the at the track? How many fans are going to be there to cheer it on? Is it going to be an open event? Is it going to be a closed event to the same way golf was where it's, you know, the people that are there to actually participate and then you know the camera crew as well as personnel is it actually going to be you know fans allotted in at a separated distance that's going to be very interesting to me uh i really think that the later we get on into this i think more and more people will be allowed into these these sort of events but i really don't know in the the horse racing atmosphere you know how big the fans actually pay pay play a part in the race itself but i know just from a, a gambling betting standpoint it makes a huge huge difference with the people there and the people that are at home so that'll wrap things up for talking about the belmont stakes again that's coming up on saturday so we've touched on golf we've touched on horse racing in the belmont stakes still to this point though dustin don't know if they're gonna have a major league baseball season i know we said that last week we've said the last couple of weeks and Fortunately, that's still the case major league baseball and the players can't get it figure out a thing together and now all of a sudden the players they're ready to go. The players are coming out and saying, you tell us where to be and where to meet because obviously they can't go on strike because of the way the contracts work. So basically the players have to just be able to ready to play and they're asking Major League Baseball, when are we going to get things started? When can we come to ballparks and start training and get things rolling and get this season started? And so far, Major League Baseball hasn't said a word. One thing that interests me about Major League Baseball right now is the the more that these negotiations on the games and the contracts and everything goes on and on, the longer that that takes, the longer they postpone the season, which I think in the long run, if they're aiming for a 50-game season, at least the commissioner is, I think that's kind of what he has to do is prolong it and push it back as far as possible. But if the players want to go in and they want to you know, get started and get to play, get as many games in as possible, they're still trying to reach that agreement point. I think if it was going to go the players' way, they would have had to get to a, a spring training or at least some sort of practice this week. Uh, like you were saying, we don't know exactly when they're going to get to it. We just hope that they do, uh, hopefully sometime in July, so we can have postseason baseball in October the way it's meant to be. And Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, just continues to shoot himself in the foot. A couple weeks ago, he came out and said he was cannot 100% almost guaranteed there will be a season. Then he comes out just yesterday and says, 
well, I'm not very much sure at all if there will be a season at all. So he kind of goes back on his word. I know that's upset a lot of big-name Major League Baseball broadcasters and just media people and even the players now coming out and saying, you know, just a couple weeks ago you said you can guarantee a season. Now you don't really know which is it. And then all of a sudden it comes out that a couple players test positive for COVID-19. It just seems like Major League Baseball almost at this point and the owners are getting it to where they don't want to have a season. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things where, you know, I'm not trying to compare ownership or leadership, commissionership, but I do think if, you know, Adam Silver, like the way the NBA was structured and designed, I think everything would have been taken care of. I'm not saying that they would have agreed necessarily with the players, but they would have found a middle ground where Manfred really just said, no, this is how it's going to be, This and that that's it. And like you said, he said, we're going to have a season, and then two, three weeks down the line, actually it's not looking too too pretty right now. And I haven't really looked at the numbers of how much money just in revenue and TV deals that they would lose this year, but you have to have to think the players can't be happy with that at all. Uh, same way with the NBA. The more games that they lose, the more games that they can't play in, the less money and revenue that these teams make. So I think that's going to take a huge, huge toll on MLB baseball. And I'm not saying it was a dying sport, but it was a sport that the American public had already put on the back burner to more fast-paced, action-paced sports like basketball, like football, who generate revenue just off of commercial deals, off of TV signings, stuff like that. Well, you look at it as well, too. I mean, I think a lot of people are upset with Major League Baseball because they feel like they're dropping the ball, no pun intended, just for the simple fact of if they would be playing baseball right now, it would dominate the sports scene because there's nothing else going on. Now you continue to put it off, put it off. NBA is set to start back up in late July. You have to mention golf is coming back. Now at this point, you're not going to be the center stage of everything of everything in the sports world because when NBA comes back, NBA is definitely going to take over the sports scene with basically being a couple – Two weeks, basically, until they start the playoffs. Then when it's NBA playoffs start, that's all it's going to be about. If people really feel like and are upset with Major League Baseball, feel like they're dropping the ball. And I have to kind of agree because I know we talked about this last week. It's something that Major League Baseball is missing a prime opportunity right now to showcase their sport, showcase the best players in the world, and they just continue to drop the ball. And I have to put it back all on the shoulders of Rob Manfred. I thought the same thing about uh, NHL hockey. I thought it was one of those things where they could have took a front running and all of this and kind of just hopped in and said, hey, for those people who have never watched hockey, who have never really got into it, this is your chance. This is, this is your chance to you know find a team that you like, find players you like. If you, you sit down and watch a hockey game you've never watched it before, once you understand the, the logic and reasoning behind the game, it is a fun game to watch. And I really thought that's what baseball could do here, like you said, is attract the people, the general population who doesn't really like the slow-paced action that baseball is and really draw their attention draw them back to their home teams and really make them you know believers and fans of the game again because it is the only thing on tv and they have the people and personnel to do it like you said i think manfred dropped the ball no pun intended on this and like you said once nba basketball comes back everything's going to get washed out of the water until football comes back i truly believe that the nba has taken taken the world by storm it's not just the united states it's all over the world and I really think once once the NBA gets into the to playoff baseball or playoff basketball, it's it's game over for these other sports until football comes back around. And I know it's not necessarily the fans that makes it too, but you this we're obviously a betting podcast here on the Degenerate. Think about like what DraftKings and people places like that are losing out on these 
major league or in these major sports teams not having seasons. Sports leagues with like Major League Baseball, I know that like during the playoffs last year, that's when DraftKings really took off as far as getting baseball involved in that DraftKings type of situ- of a betting type, if you would call it such thing. But I know DraftKings, they've got to be losing out on quite a bit. You look at things like that, there is a lot of things, not just the players, not just the fans, not just Major League Baseball, but there's a lot of different aspects of the sports world that is losing just for the simple fact of Major League Baseball not having a season. Yes, and it's not even gambling on sports, like first five inning, the whole game, anything like that. It is just daily fantasy sports. I know, I know a lot of people. I know, Johnny, you like doing the daily fantasy, yep. especially when it comes to the, the baseball atmosphere. One thing that I thought was interesting, if they're not going to have a season, if they're not doing that, players like you, people like you that are really good at like, capping these games and capping these players, it, it, makes, it a, makes it difficult to you know, get, with, get on anything else, get on NHL, get on NBA because you're not used to that. But even if a season were to start – you don't know who's rusty. You don't know who's ready to play. You, that's what you know, spring training's for. That's what the, the first two months of the season are for, to really see who's, who's coming out, who's really starting to play. It's not just a guess and check game. And I think that's where handicappers like you are really start, starting to take a deter on certain things like this because even if they were to have a season, it would be hard to figure out what players to choose, what players would be on a hot streak straight off the bat. It would take a, a little bit of time to figure out all of this stuff and the way it's looking with the MLB season, you won't have that allotted amount of time by the time the playoffs start. Yeah, and that's what's one thing we haven't really talked about much as well. That's going to make because right now it's looking at it's going to be if if Major League Baseball does find a way to have a season, it's looking like it's going to be around that 55, 60 game mark that's going to be for the regular season. And you look at that. That could make some of these teams like our hometown, Kansas City Royals, teams like that, that might give them more of a chance where people really didn't expect them to because, I mean, you look just as last year, the Washington Nationals, they were 19-31 and 31 after 50 games in the regular season. They run the table. They win the whole dang thing. You look at teams like that that would have, wouldn't have have a shot through the first 50 games of the season. Now all of a sudden you look at a team like maybe the Royals, if they could find a way to come out, have a good first couple weeks of the season, turn that into a month or so, then you're looking at it, it's only 50 games. If you're in a spot to make the playoffs, all it, all it takes is for you to get in. We've seen that with the Royals in the, when they won this World Series in 2015 and made it to the World Series in 2014. All it takes is you getting into the playoffs. You get into the playoffs and you have a shot. And I think that that's going to make – even this season, if Major League Baseball does have it, I, I'm one of those people that at first I didn't think it would, it would be one of those where you'd put an asterisk behind it. But Major League Baseball, I think, is that one sport that you would kind of have to put an asterisk behind it just for the simple fact of, you know, you're only playing those 55, 60 games, whatever it is, instead of those 162 that you normally play in Major League Baseball. And now NBA, obviously different. We'll touch on NBA in just a second. But I think Major League Baseball, it's going to be a completely different setup, playoffs, regular season, something that is going to be in the back of people's minds forever if, if Major League Baseball does find a way to have this season, and it is 55, 60 games in the regular season. And that's a great example that you had, Johnny, with the Washington Nationals, 19-31 and 31 in their first 50 games. People had already pinned them out, you know, going through a third of the season, and they come out, they make it to the playoffs, win the World Series, and it's going to be interesting to see these teams that are coming out. If there's a 50-game season, who's going to come out hot and try to win as many games as possible to get those playoff spots? Teams that didn't even have a shot last year after, say, April, May, maybe even early June. Like, you know, they were just trying to get to the next season. Now it's it's all out. It's the final third of the season. Let's go for gold. And the, player, the teams that get in, I really think it's going to be interesting to see. You're going to see players 
try harder than they ever have because usually it's a it's a marathon, not a sprint in baseball when it comes to the 162 games. So these these last 50 might might bring out you know some of these players that have really been holding on to their talent, really showcasing. One thing that you had, had mentioned, uh, if there wasn't a season at all, even if there is an asterisk to the season and say there's only a 50-game season, I do think even record-wise the players would rather have that than say – a no no season at all because right. you look at some of these players like Mike Trout, like Bryce Harper, you know some of these just big name hitters. They go a whole season without hitting. They're they're just losing a year a year of life that they have in, in a baseball aspect to where these home run hitters you know they're chasing in the in the record books. They played you know seventeen eighteen years straight. You miss out on a whole year. You're missing out on forty fifty home runs. You know even if you only have fifty games, you could still you know get your ten fifteen home runs in maybe even 20 if you're pushing it and you know call it a call it a season I mean the 20 is better than the zero home runs you would have hit if there was no season at all right so major league baseball they've got a lot to figure out obviously hopefully we'll have something here in the next couple of weeks and something we can talk about when, when we do have more on whether major league baseball have a season or not we'll touch on just some looks and some teams maybe that as mentioned with only having 50 games that you might throw a little money on that you wouldn't have if there was a full season we'll touch on that here in the next couple of weeks likely hopefully we'll have some good news to report next week but obviously we're going to hold our breath on that the way major league baseball the players and the owners kind of have treated things here in the last couple of weeks one more thing we'll talk about quickly nba nba obviously starting back up in july late july was when the season is supposed to start back up for a couple of weeks and then the playoffs will start after that and it should be an exciting time there's not a whole lot more to talk about that we didn't talk about last week but dustin i know nba that's it's going to be a little bit different they mentioned that you know, some of these teams are a lot of these teams are going to be staying at the same hotels, so they have them basically all hooked up. Obviously, in the NBA, they're going to be hooked up nice. They're going to have you know basically hospitality hotels with with you know playstations and Xbox and ping pong and all that sort. But the biggest thing for me is they're going to be very, very, very strict on these players. I know it just came out a little bit ago or just a few hours ago that. The NBA is actually going to have a hotline that people, players, and basically personnel can call and almost snitch on players if they're not following the guidelines set forth by set forth by the NBA. Now, it didn't say what a punishment would be if players did not follow the guidelines put forth, but there's I have a hard time believing there isn't going to be someone trying to gain that extra edge and maybe snitch on a little somebody and try to get somebody in trouble, and especially with it kind of being a weird situation as it is as it is going to be with the NBA. Yeah, I think that that's interesting, and I know that you know they put that out there, and they want people to abide by it and follow it. I, I really think that the NBA is being strict here because they do see what what we've seen and what we talked about earlier. With they have that opportunity to take over the rest of the sports world. Those those people who didn't get to watch NBA and they don't watch golf and they haven't you know don't have anything else to watch other than football when it comes back. The NBA has a chance to step in on ESPN and TNT and watch. I mean, play all these games. It's the only thing you're going to be able to watch at the bar. It's the only sports you're going to be able to watch on TV. They don't want their big name all star players going out and you know getting the getting the COVID nineteen. You know what would the Milwaukee Bucks do? I know they have a solid squad overall, but Giannis Antetokounmpo. You know somebody calls him in for not having this. He gets a two or three game suspension, whatever it is. You know I don't know what the punishment might be, but what? How many people are going to watch that actual game if? You know, say they're playing the Philadelphia 76ers and they don't have their star player. The NBA is trying to protect 
trying to protect theirs by keeping their stars and keeping these TV deals alive by having these star players. There's a reason that the you know the Phoenix Suns only have two or three games on TV all year long, and the Lakers have forty some. Like I mean, it's just I'm I'm kind of hyperboleing that a little bit. But, but you're pretty close. But it, it is what it is. I mean, the reason the Lakers have forty games on TV is because LeBron James there. If LeBron James sat out twenty games, nobody would watch it. They would they would hotline it and make other teams play instead of him and. That's the whole thing. They're trying to protect theirs by having their stars play, and I think that's what this is. Not to scare players, but to let them know, we need you guys here for the entertainment aspect. So, again, the NBA set to start back up next month. We'll have more about, about the NBA when that gets closer, and obviously we know more of the guidelines, the rules, the schedule, and how things shape up for the start back of the NBA. So that'll wrap things up for another episode of The Generate. Dustin, any final thoughts? Uh, final thoughts? I'm on uh, Sol Volante. Uh, I'm going to have him. I have him at a plus 450, 14 to 1 in some places. He's a finisher, great, great acceleration off the end. Uh, he's got four wins in his last six starts. He raced last week. He's only going to have a 10-day break, but he did did win last week. So we'll see how it is. Sol Volante is who I'm on this week. So, again, the Belmont Stakes coming up on Saturday. Golf back in action this week as well. Hopefully we'll have good news next week in the Major League Baseball front and NBA coming back next month. So that'll wrap things up. Thank you for tuning in with us. For Dustin Gosa, I am Johnny Kane. You've been listening to The Generate on our Arrowhead Live podcast, arrowheadlive.com.